0: scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 22 verses 1 through 19 and it is on page 14 of your pew Bible pew Bible sometime later God tested Abraham he said to him Abraham here I am he replied then God said Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire in the night. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord will pro- on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, "I swear by myself declares the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky the sand on the seashore your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through you offspring and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me then abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for beersheba and abraham stayed in beersheba that's the word of god Good morning.
1: Good morning. I'm going to ask my friend Carissa if she'll come up here and help me today. Trying to get more people involved. We like having people involved, right? So Carissa, I brought some blocks. You know how to build? Yep. Good. Because I want you to build a tower. A tower. Mm-hmm. So I'll dump these blocks out here for you. And I want you to build me a tower. Looks like she's a good builder. She knows what to do. She didn't hesitate, she just rump, jumped right on in. Oh, she's a good builder. I wouldn't have gotten it that far. My towers always fall over. Maybe that's because Ben knocks them over. Look at her go. Wow. She is a good builder. Whoa. Oh wow. I'm impressed. It's gonna be taller than her pretty soon. You are amazing. I picked the right person for this job. You done? I'm not gonna breathe on it. I'm going to stand over here and not breathe. Woo. Mm, I am super impressed. Oh, 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 oh. I'm still super impressed. Oh, ooh! she's got a, another strategy here. This girl's going to be an engineer. <laughs> you don't have to use them all. You've already exceeded my... Oh, she's got the steeple on the top. Awesome. Good job. Woo. You are awesome. All right. So I have a question for you. Yeah. How did you decide which one to put on first? Yeah. how did you which one to put on first? Come closer so we can hear you. Mm-hmm. How did you decide which one to put on first? Well, yeah, I put the... Um, that's here, the long one. Okay. So I could put the short one here, and then I put that one I don't know Oh, so you put the long one first. Okay. Yep. And then and a little bit of a short one, and then a little bit of a long one. And then I started putting. And how did you decide which ones to put where? It just kind of came to you? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's a fabulous tower. I'm telling you, mine would have been a three blocks tall, and that would have been it. But you know. Yeah, that, that's about as good. Oh, I might have done this way. I might have put it that way. There. That's that's my tower. Well, <laughs> it's hard to decide sometimes. And in our Bible story today, thank you. You can have a seat. Um, actually, you know what? Come back here. I'm going to ask you one more question. Well, let me get to the story first. Um, in the story, Abraham had to make a choice. God said, Hey, Abraham, remember that son I gave you? Isaac? The one called laughter? Well, I want you to take him up on the mountain and I want you to offer him to me as a burnt sacrifice. Hmm. Now, I want you to think about something that you really, really love. A thing. A thing. So maybe your dance shoes or something like that? Something that you need to do? No? Something, something that you really, really love. A stuffed, a stuffed animal. Okay, what if God tells you, I want you to take that stuffed animal and I don't want you to give it to me. Would you do it? Good girl. Woo! Because that's the right choice. When Abraham was faced with this decision, his only son that he's waited all these years for. Remember, he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. So he must be probably 113 or 14 by now cuz Isaac was strong enough to carry the wood. And God says, okay, you've had them long enough. It's my turn to have them now. Take them up on that mountain and kill them. I don't know. That's a pretty tough thing to do. Those of you that are parents, the thought of killing your own child because God told you to do it, I think I'd be real, real nervous about doing that. But Abraham, his faith didn't come easily. It came over a lot of bumps, and a lot of hills, and a lot of valleys, and a lot of tough places. But his faith was strong enough. He said, okay, God, you said I'd have this kid. I have him now. You said he's going to be the, you know, I'm going to be the father of too many that you can't even count them. But you want this one back? Okay. Here he is. And God always provides. He doesn't ask us to do something that's wrong. He asks us to do what is according to his will. He didn't want to kill Isaac. He just wanted to make sure that Abraham's faith was strong enough. And sometimes God tests us to. He asks us to go places or do things that we're not too sure about. But we have to trust that God is leading. Because if it's not God leading, it's not right. And it won't work. But when God asks us to do something, even if it's hard, we need to remember that he is directing the story here. It might be a blessing in disguise. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for faith. It's hard to come by, but we thank you that we can have faith because you are a good and loving and honest and true and caring Father. You would never ask us to do something that was wrong you would never ask us to do something that was not according to your will. We may not always understand it, but we thank you that you will guide us through it, you will walk with us, you will provide whatever is needed. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.
2: Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, up this story to us in a way that we can understand. It's one of the more challenging ones in the Bible, and we always need your help by your spirit to understand your word. Thank you that you are willing to give us wisdom when we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. God never will forsake and need the soul who trusts in God. Indeed, that was the last phrase of that hymn we just sang, and that's if God's the one that's giving you a hard time. <laughs> so we're talking about Abraham. You know this. We've been talking about him for a while now. Um, Barb fortunately gave us a nice overview of this morning's story, so I don't have to rehash it. But, but we know this story, right? God has taken forever to give Abraham this promised son and then asked for him back. Um what were the terms of God's and Abraham's relationship all the way back at the beginning of Genesis 12, which we looked at a couple like a month ago? What was the agreement? Okay, so God called Abraham, and Abraham agreed. God, Abraham showed up, um, but there were some there were some details. What was God Asking of Abraham, what was Abraham expecting from God? What What's the deal? Yeah. And so Abraham had to leave his life behind. And what was he supposed to get out of it? Blessing a new life. Father of nations. Right. So... This is what we call a covenant. That's a Bible term. A covenant is kind of a legal agreement, but legal in terms of God and people, not human laws. Um, and although there other peoples would have covenants with their gods, too. So this was, it's like a divine and human, of some kind, legal agreement. And there are terms. And so the idea was the God, God or the God, is going to do something for this human and the human is going to do something in return. What was God actually trying to accomplish through this covenant with Abraham? Any? Okay. Establishing a nation and a people through which his son would come talked about the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and everything was great and the humans were supposed to represent God to the rest of the world. They were supposed to represent God to each other and um, take care of the rest of creation in a good, loving, godly, creative, life-giving way. And that kind of fell apart. And so God is now trying to reset that. He wants a relationship with Abraham. Specifically, but not just Abraham. Specifically, eventually, he wants to restore a relationship with all humanity. God is not very interested in magic quick fixes. You might have noticed that in your own life. (laughs) Um, There are some exceptions, but for the most part, God is way more interested in process transformation that happens over time. So, Let's think about this. He plans this relationship with Abraham, and thousands of years later, Jesus comes, and we're thousands of years later from that, and the whole resolution still has not happened yet, but we have seen God doing this work of transformation. And part of God's process, pretty much all the time, when he is trying to establish a relationship with individual people and also groups of people, is trust. Relationships in general require trust, right? You can't have any kind of real relationship with a person if you don't trust them or they don't trust you. I worked for a church for a while, and it was a challenging place to work, but for the most part, the pastor and I, I wasn't the pastor, and the pastor and I worked together really well. And the pastors changed a few times while I was there, And it was always fine, but at one point, with the final pastor that I worked with, um, it became clear that that pastor no longer trusted me for various reasons. I don't think I was being untrustworthy, but there were some miscommunications and some other things going on. And as soon as I realized this pastor doesn't trust me, I thought, my time here is done. I can't continue to work in this challenging place If the person that I'm supposed to work with and we're supposed to have each other's backs doesn't trust me, now I can't trust them either. So relationships require trust, and it has to go two ways. So God is trying over the course of Abraham's life to win Abraham's trust and through Abraham to win humanity's trust or at least Abraham's children's trust. And he is also trying to make Abraham into the kind of person he can trust with his plan, more or less. (laughs) So God is beginning this long process of resetting the world to be a place where humans and God love and trust each other so much that humans will act like the loving, life-giving God in the world by the power of God. In some ways, because Abraham is the first person that God's, God picks to set this plan in place, that makes Abraham's story different and distinct from any one of ours and anybody else's. But in other ways, it makes it a template for all of us. And in Abraham's story, we find out that we can truly know for ourselves if we have fully trusted God with everything we are and everything we have until the very core of who we believe ourselves to be is challenged. Faith or trust in God grows and changes over time. So for May and June, I was teaching a class through the pilgrimage called The Walk. It is, this is a shorthand version, but it's about what's called stages of faith, or some people call it that. I haven't figured out a better term. Stages sounds really kind of clinical and not really like what it is, but there are um, people, Christians, other people, over time have experienced and recorded and described these kind of patterns that most people who follow God experience in their lives as they continue to pursue God. And so you kind of start off where you You've been invited into this relationship with God, and you're you're setting out, and you don't really know God very well, and, and so, but you now identify with God. You're just kind of getting your feet wet, and then you get a little bit more involved, and a challenge comes up, and you have to figure out what does it mean now that I belong to God? How do I face this challenge? And maybe you do something really godly, and maybe you kind of mess it up. Um, and then something clicks, And you start to really see God as this real person in your life and the one who matters. And you start to become active, and you you serve, and you do all kinds of things for God, and you're excited, and you want to tell other people about him. And then something else happens, and it's like you hit a wall. And we can actually see this in Abraham's story. I'm going to just quickly overview a couple of things, stories that we didn't really look at in this series because they weren't in the lectionary, but um, we could have made this series much longer than it is because <laughs> there are some really important stories in Abraham's. But um, we, can, we can see some of these stages play out. So first we have the invitation, which we did talk about. Uh, Janet Hagberg calls this invitation to be somehow in relationship with God, the life-changing awareness of God. You can go through most of your life and be kind of agnostic, which means you're not really sure if there's a God or not, and it doesn't really matter to you one way or the other. Probably there's one, but I don't think it has anything to do with me. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know what? (laughs) I actually think there is a God, and I actually think it matters to me. And now I have to figure out what to do about it. A life-changing awareness of God. Your life isn't going to be the same after that, but you don't know what it's going to look like. Abraham's first challenge after that is he has moved to the promised land. He's trusted God enough to get there, but then there's a famine. And he doesn't ask God, hey, do you want me to stick around here? Are you going to provide or you know, should I go somewhere else for a little while until this is over? He just does what a rational human being would do and says, I'm going to move my family to some place where there is food because right now I'm living here somewhere where there isn't. And he ends up going to Egypt. He doesn't, though, it makes sense. His decision makes sense. But he doesn't trust God enough with the promise that God made him in the invitation. He doesn't trust God enough with the promise to stay and watch God provide, or, when he gets to Egypt, to honor Sarah and her genuine status as his wife, because he tells the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, that she's his sister because he's afraid that Pharaoh is going to be so overcome with Sarah's 65-year-old beauty that he's going to kill Abraham so that he can have Sarah. It's a mess. But in the aftermath of the mess, God appears to bless Abraham anyway. Abraham doesn't actually get a way to realize, oh, that was probably a bad idea, because he leaves there richer than when he started. It looks like God blessed his decision, and so it takes some other things to get Abraham to uh, understand the character of God a little bit better. But eventually, he gets there, he starts to trust God through his actions. Some other problems happen after they leave Egypt and get back to the Promised Land. Um, The first thing is that his nephew Lot and he have too many people and too many sheep and goats and whatever else they have, and so there's not enough room on the place that they've settled. And so Abraham says, all right, we need to figure out, we need to live somewhere a little different from each other so that we have space for all of our livestock. And Abraham trusts God enough with the promise that he is going to inherit this land, that he gives Lot first dibs on where to live. Lot ends up making a really poor choice, but um, that's another story. Then, because Lot made a really poor choice, there's some fighting happening. Some, Some of the local kings start fighting each other, and Lot and his family get caught up in this. And Abraham... Fights for Lot and for Lot's chosen people, but after he succeeds, the king of Sodom, which is where Lot is living, says, I'm going to give you all the spoils of war. And Abraham, by this time, says, No, I don't need you to make me rich. This is different from in Egypt when he was perfectly happy to take all kinds of stuff from Pharaoh. So, He's starting to—he's starting to get it. He can trust God to provide for him, and God—and he's acknowledging that God is the one that helped in this battle. But in this series of trying, you know, cooperating with God and trusting God through action, he does make some mistakes. Um, he decides that he's going to try to help God out in fulfilling the promise, and. Sarah's suggestion, but he decides that Sarah's never going to have a kid, so he has a son through a slave girl, Hagar. There's a little bit of maturity in some of this impulse, not the, let's just have a kid with somebody else, but um, we are, we're supposed to cooperate with God in fulfilling God's will for the world and in fulfilling God's promises. So Abraham is, on some level, actually trying to cooperate with God, but he doesn't actually ask God how he can participate in this promise happening, um, or what's the part of the plan that I need to know next, God? He just barges in with his idea or Sarah's idea or whoever, doesn't ask what's the next plan, And when we do that, if we're all gung-ho for God, but we're not actually touching base with God to find out, first of all, what the plan is and what our role in it is, people get hurt. Hagar got hurt, Sarah got hurt, and even Ishmael got hurt. And even, actually, Abraham got hurt, because Abraham had to send Hagar and Ishmael away. Finally, all of that gets sorted out as well as could be expected in a a fallen world, and Abraham and Sarah find out that Sarah herself is to be the mother of the promise. She matters to this promise. And Isaac is born, and this part is horrible, but Ishmael gets sent away, so there's no more threat to Isaac being the one to receive all the covenant promises, and Actually, Hagar gets to start over as a free woman with her son, and God promises to bless her son, too. And so this is... And everybody lived happily ever after. No? Okay. Why did God have to mess all this up with this frankly horrifying command? I think it's easy to read these stories when I remember reading the story hearing this story as a little kid and having no concept, even as a kid being like, what if my parents decided to do that to me? I never thought that. It just, it kind of feels like, even if you believe the Bible is telling true stories, it kind of feels like a fairy tale, right? And crazy things happen in fairy tales, and so it's kind of hard to connect with. Um, But these are real people, and this is horrifying. And so a lot of times, nowadays, will come to this story, and they'll either say God is a monster, and they write off the whole Bible on the basis of this story sometimes, or they'll say God would never ask anyone to do this, and so Abraham had some kind of complex, and he just thought this is what he was supposed to do, and this is what we see with all these parents, religious, hyper-religious parents who abuse their kids. That's a whole other issue, but I believe that This story, and actually I believe that this story sometimes influences some hyper-religious abuse. However, I believe the story in the Bible is a story that that is true that God actually did ask something of Abraham. And it was everything. Think about this. Isaac is the person in whom all of the story that Abraham's been living up to this point culminates and is the whole reason why he's done anything. So Isaac is kind of his, not just his son, not just his son whom he loves, not just his son that he waited forever for, but the son that represents His whole identity is wrapped up in Isaac. So, what is happening here, and what do we do when it when something like this happens to us? Because maybe some of us have felt like something similar to this has happened to us before. Up until this point, the closer Abraham has gotten to God, the closer he has gotten to the fulfillment of God's promise. He, you know, he starts out over here, he says yes to God, and, and he goes, and the, the more he cooperates with God, the, more, the, the closer he gets to God, the closer he gets to the fulfillment of the promise, and then all of a sudden, here's this son, through whom the promise is going to be fulfilled. But here's the problem. Not even God's good gift Not even God-given dreams are God. Not even God's promises are God. And so, at some point, for most followers of Jesus, I'm not going to say all because there's probably an exception somewhere, but I don't know about it, if we are truly, truly following God through our disappointments with him and through our own mistakes and the ways we fail to live up to his ways and we're still plugging away and we're still following God and we're still trying to get closer to God, there will come a tipping point where we have to choose. Because if we get this close to God, there's only one thing left between us and God. The choice is union with God or the promise. The promise itself can become our idol. It can become the barrier between us and God. Even though it was from God, even though God loves us, even though that's what God gave us, it can become an idol and the thing that in the end keeps us from God. It is a crossroad. It's like God is saying to Abraham, at this point, after everything we've done and been through together, if, I, if it came down to a choice between me and the promise I made you, which would you pick? Well, it has come to a choice. This is the choice. Is Abraham going to continue to pursue God's promise his own way, like he did when he was in Egypt and he palmed Sarah up as a sister twice, or when he got Hagar pregnant, or is he going to trust that it's God's promise to fulfill, to keep, and to protect and trust that being united to God is better than a fulfilled promise without him? This is the crossroad that determines who we ultimately are. I said at the beginning that we don't know who we really are until... We've had our, um, our identity in God challenged. We, I don't think we even really become who we really are until that's happened. God knew what Abraham was going to choose and how this was going to play out and, and everything, but the choice, making the choice, is what brought Abraham all the way through to where he needed to be with God. This choice strikes Abraham right in his heart. Ever since he was called, he's been defined by this promise. We cannot be fully devoted to God until God asks us for the thing that we think defines us, and we say, yes. This is the cross at the foundation of the world. This is the crossroad at the foundation of the world. Will we entrust everything we are and everything we have to God, or will we keep it for ourselves and trust ourselves? I'm pretty sure that Abraham could have said, it's interesting because in the story, God says, bring your son and sacrifice him, and then it says, immediately the next morning, Abraham went and attempted to do this. Um, I've been reading a book about how sometimes we can deceive ourselves, and one of the things they say is if you put off a decision that, if you put off acting on a conviction, you're probably not going to do the conviction. So Abraham could have said, well, yes, I will do this, but give me a week. Let me um, talk to Sarah about it let's see you know let me let me Gideon comes much later but let me be like Gideon and put out a fleece let me figure out like let me just make sure because this seems really crazy i don't think that god could really be asking me to do this and so he could have done that and he could have not tried to sacrifice isaac and i do not believe that god would have rejected him on that basis but the whole trajectory would have changed. Probably God would have had to find another person to choose for his holy family through whom to bless the world, because, and he probably would have still given Abraham a whole bunch of descendants, like he gave Ishmael a whole bunch of descendants, and Isaac would have probably had some too, but the story would have changed because this choice between God and his good gifts is the choice for every human. This is the choice in our humanity. It is built in. God entrusted everything he is and has to us. That is why it is built in. Self-sacrificial love is in God's DNA. And if we are in the image of God, and we're supposed to bear his image to the world, there is zero way we can do that unless we have encountered this choice and chosen God. This is the choice that Adam and Eve faced. Theirs was a lot less traumatic. At least the choice itself was. The results were pretty traumatic. All the way up to you and me. We all have to face this choice. God trusted himself to us, even though he knew and still knows because we continue to prove to be, by nature, untrustworthy. <coughs> God himself submitted to this crossroad of choice. He had to decide, is Abraham, are his descendants, is this human race, these knuckleheads, are they worth all the anguish I, myself, will have to go through and have already gone through? He decided that we were. And in his reset through Abraham, this is a, he's done some resets before. First he reset through Noah. He wiped out everything except Noah and Noah's family. That didn't change anything. That didn't change the human heart. He reset through Babel by cutting off communication between humans and sending them out. That didn't change the human heart. That just put them all under different territorial powers. Through Abraham, he's doing something new, and he's doing something that reflects himself because that is what he wants us to do. Trust in any relationship requires vulnerability and self-sacrifice, The God that we are designed to reflect wanted us to be united to him so dearly he sacrificed himself through the person of Jesus so that we could be reconciled to him. God asks us to trust him with what we care about and who we are and when we radically do that the way Abraham did we discover that God fulfills and provides in ways we could never have expected. Abraham, in the end, did not have to sacrifice Isaac. But I guarantee the way that he felt connected to Isaac changed. Actually, for the better. Because he was no longer looking to Isaac to define him, to be everything. God was everything. And Isaac was just a blessing, part of the promise. God ultimately got what he wanted when he went to the cross, too, the possibility of relationship with us, which would continue to fulfill the promise he made to Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago, to give Abraham countless descendants and to bless people all over the world through Abraham and his example of trust. So... Let's sing our communion hymn, and then we're going to celebrate communion, the act of God's coming to the crossroads, coming to the cross, and deciding we